Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome to the O Show podcast presented by FantasyJocks.com. Be a champ today. ended in Noah Syndergaard to the Bronx rumors. It looks like trade talks between the Mets, Yankees, and Marlins are going down, which would possibly land starting pitcher Noah Syndergaard in the Bronx, according to Mike Puma. And here's the latest on Bryce Harper and Manny Machado. Brian Hoke of MLB.com tweeted, Brian Cashman indicated that Bryce Harper isn't a fit for the Yankees. Said that the team already has six outfielders and that playing Harper at first base isn't realistic. And in regards to Machado, isn't realistic. And in regards to Machado, MLB Network insider John Heyman tweeted, Yankees like Manny Machado and will meet with Machado, but sources say they will not pay $300 million for Machado. And as for rumors regarding current Yankees, Joel Sherman reports that the Yankees are shooting high with Sonny Gray, asking the Reds about one of their top prospects, Taylor Trammell, and John Morosi tweeted that the Padres and Yankees remain in contact regarding a possible Sonny Gray trade, source confirms. And on Yankees Hot Stove, Yankees manager Aaron Boone had this to say about Gary Sanchez. As an organization, me certainly really believe in the player, really believe in Gary. That's the latest from Las Vegas. What are your takes on any and all? Let us know in the comments below. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the O Show podcast presented by FantasyJocks.com. I am your host, Jack O'Hara, and this is episode 36, Winter Meetings. From Las Vegas, Nevada, with Houston Astros AA manager Jason Bell. As we talk about the rumors going down at the winter meetings here in Vegas this week, as you've probably heard, the New York Mets, the Miami Marlins, and the New York Yankees are discussing a blockbuster trade that would send JT Real Menudo. Whoa. The fuck did you just say? Sorry, sorry, JT Real Menudo. Real Muto. Real Muto. JT Real Muto. He would be sent to Flushing at City Field with the Mets. Miguel Andahar would potentially be shipped out to Miami with the Marlins in this deal. And Noah Syndergaard, Thor, would be on his way to the Bronx, coming from the Mets to the Yankees. Noah Syndergaard to the Yankees would not only make the rotation complete, as well as one of the best in the league, it would also bring them right back into the Manny Machado sweepstakes that the Phillies have seemed to have taken over. Now, with this potential deal, the Yankees would be saying goodbye to one of their rising stars and Miguel Andahar, who would potentially be shipped to the Marlins as they're looking for a young star who's ready to go in the big leagues now. Andahart hit 297 with 28 bombs last year. He finished second in the AL Rookie of the Year voting this past season, uh, coming up short against Shohei Otani, but in everybody's minds except the idiot baseball writers, he should have been AL Rookie of the Year. You just made the list! So today, December 14th, 14th. 2018, almost Christmas. Almost Christmas, Jack's back home in the great town of Long Valley, New Jersey. Uh, we can't promote that. We'll lose viewers. <laughs> MLB winter meetings this past week in Las Vegas. Yankees did basically nothing. 
I mean, they brought back J.A. Happ on a two-year deal, third year looming if he reaches a certain amount of innings or pitches. I don't really know. Um, they met with Manny Machado. They're saying they're out on Bryce Harper. But I guess they completed the rotation with uh, getting Paxton and Happ. It looks like it's going to be Severino, Happ, Tanaka, Paxton, and CeCe. Maybe some Jordan Montgomery as well. Um, there were talks Monday when the winter meeting started that the Yankees, Mets, and Marlins were going to somehow pull off a huge blockbuster trade that was going to bring Noah Syndergaard to, to the Yankees and JT Real Minuto to uh, the New York Mets. Unfortunately, that did not go through. No, it did Broke not. my heart. I even posted an Instagram picture on our Instagram page. It really looked like he was going to come, and my heart was broken. So no Thor in the Bronx, even though he cut his hair like last week and made it seem like it was plausible. Um, but I don't, I don't know how I feel about the Yankees with those moves. I still feel like they have to go out and get Manny Machado regardless because if they were going to get Noah Syndergaard from the Mets, they're obviously going to have to give up someone huge in to Miami, which looked like it was going to be Miguel Andahar. So they were going to lose both D at short and Andahar at third, meaning they'd have to bring in Machado regardless right. if they wanted to give him $300 million. Yeah, but during the winter meetings, it was clear that their their focus was on their bullpen. Um, you know, and they've been struggling with their bullpen recently and their starting rotation isn't terrible, but I still think they could look at more starters, but yeah, with, with DD and Andujar being out, that does put a gap in our infield. And the reason why I feel like the Yankees didn't get much done during the winter meetings is because I thought they should have focused on, on that exact finding a solid shortstop. And a third baseman. And, like, I mean, there's still guys out there. Corey Kluber, Trevor Bauer, Syndergaard, obviously, has been made available by Brody Van Wagenen, who has balls, by the way. First Mets GM, I think, in a long time, who actually has a set of balls and is making moves. Like, bringing in Cano and Diaz for all those prospects. Ballsy move. We'll see if it pays off. But to even, like... Like I said last time, Diaz said he's there... He's in New York for a ring, so, you know... Well, he, let's be honest. He's really in New York because he got traded. But, yes, yeah, he, absolutely. he wants a ring. Absolutely. He wants a ring. Uh, sure. But at least, you know, super early into the, this this next season, or at least we're seeing a confidence Mets roster, you know. And they're, to even... showing determination. To even, like, dangle interest in the fact that you're going to trade one of your solidified franchise stars, Noah Syndergaard, to your arch-rival nemesis in the Yankees, Yeah, that shows a lot of guts, and I think the Mets need guts. Oh, the Mets need guts. The I mean, Mets... Sandy Alderson wasn't a bad GM. Omar Minaya sucked. He was terrible, and then ends up being the assistant to Sandy Alderson, which was like, why the hell would you do that? That's embarrassing. They, they, they Could you imagine being a GM getting fired and then being brought back as the assistant <laughs> to the GM? Like, I don't even know yeah. what they were thinking. Like, you fired him for a reason. Why are you bringing him back to aid so the, your new wait, GM? The, if the doors are still open to Syndergaard, have, have the Yankees just, like, stopped? Well, so, I apparently that deal stopped. Doesn't look like it's going to happen. But the whole thing was the Mets wanted JT Real Muto, who's one of the best catchers in baseball. But given that the Mets and the Marlins are in-division rivals, Derek Jeter wasn't just going to say, all right, we'll give you your best player for prospects. No. Yeah. They wanted the Mets to sacrifice, too. And that Jeter... Well, the thing about it, if Jeter did approve that trade and, and, and he took him away from the Marlins, 
Marlins fans would be like, okay, okay, you, you get rid of Stanton. You get rid of Ozuna. You get, get rid, rid of, of Yelich. Yeah, you get rid of Yelich. Like, I mean, they're doing? rebuilding. They're rebuilding. That makes sense. But Jeter also, for the second year in a row, would have pulled off a huge trade a huge to trade. benefit to the Yankees. Yankees. Yeah, to benefit yeah. the Yankees. So the Marlins weren't helping the Mets by any means in this deal. I mean, yes, the Mets were going to get this all-star awesome catcher, but they were also sacrificing their number two pitcher in Noah Syndergaard. Yeah, and he was going to the Bronx. Marlins fans and baseball fans in general would not look at Jeter in, in you know, the best of ways if two years in a row he pulled something like that Stanton off. Stanton and then Syndergaard. Yeah. I mean, I, just imagine that rotation. You have Severino and Syndergaard, that one-two punch, two highest velocities in the game of baseball, fastball-wise. Right. Paxton, they re-signed. They were probably going to re-sign Hap regardless. Well, and CeCe's coming back for another season, which... Honestly, can go CC, both ways. It can go both ways. Like CC, if he's hot, he is a a great asset to the starting rotation. He like he really is. He's almost like one of those confidence pitchers. But CC has also had his times in the recent years where he's that he's that total like oh shit pitcher, you know. And oh, it's it, his even, turn. And, yeah. But I feel like every pitcher in the in, in their starting rotation has been there. Tanaka's been to the point where, like, thank God we have Tanaka tomorrow. You know what I mean? To the point where it's like, oh shit. And now, and then he's had his time where it's, oh shit, we got Tanaka shitting bricks on the mound again tomorrow. Right. You know, literally their whole starting rotation has been there. Severino's been there, but Severino's which is, amazing. Which is nerve wracking as a fan. Nerve wracking. Severino was supposed to be the ace, which he was probably the best pitcher in the American League in the first half. And then totally, like you said, shit bricks in the second half. Well, Severino showed his true colors in the postseason this year, which was amazing. He he really. I mean, we remember for the wild card game, we were real nervous. We were real nervous. Pitched well in the wild card game. You know what game he didn't pitch well in? ALDS game three, where he gave up like eight runs in four innings. See, that's what I'm saying. Every pitcher in the starting rotation for the Yankees have have. You know, have their ups and downs, but it's weird because it's either they're like they're real up and and they're doing amazing. Or, or or they're doing or they're doing terrible. All right, and the winter meetings in Vegas, like I said this year, a lot of people with podcasts went to Vegas talking Yanks. Jimmy O'Brien and uh, Jake Story, host of that podcast, went. They had Michael K on their show, Jack Curry, because they set up their table with all their podcast equipment, their mixer, and their mics right in front of the Yes Network. Um, table which is smart which is smart and i plan on going to this for like a year i'm like i i definitely have to go to this go to the job fair get an internship over the summer and all of a sudden it's thanksgiving i'm like oh crap it's two weeks and i have finals so i can't go um Carabas was there Carabas and dallas braden for their um starting nine podcast with barstool they had um a's manager bob melvin on um just like unique opportunities that you wouldn't be able to do anywhere else next year san diego california definitely have to plan ahead for that that'd be a cool trip you know i i'd go out there because you said earlier today you wouldn't want to do that trip by yourself it'd be i mean who wants to like if you're an analyst or a writer i mean i'm sure like if i emailed ahead some would do it but if i went alone and just set up a table and had my set up with like three microphones and I'm the only one there and they're walking by and be like hey you want to be on my podcast talk yeah, some yeah. sports they're yeah. probably not going to do it no no but you got a solid point you got a solid point maybe it would be a little weird 
it'd be hella weird. Wow, I've never heard you say that before. (laughs) Total, like, uh, basketball. (laughs) Back on track, Jason Bell, single-A manager for the Houston Astros of the Tri-City Valley Cats out in Troy, New York, going to join us today. Going to talk about the winter meetings as well as his his upbringing in baseball at the University of St. Louis. Um, All-American there. Turned manager, he was the director of baseball ops at Ohio University for a year. So we'll get into a little bit about that. Hopefully Jack Slade finally comes. I talked to him today. He um, can come on anytime during next week. Wow. Will you be on that one with me? Yeah, I will be. I will be. I have endless questions for that man. I mean, we could talk wrestling. We could talk rock, music. honestly. Yeah, I could talk And then the big question we got to prepare days. for in the end. Sir, sir, Mr. Jack Slate, do you think that that if there's any chance, do you think Chris Jericho would ever would ever join the the O Show podcast? Now, he'll probably give us an honest answer. Hopefully, it's some something along the lines of like he'd probably love to, but he's very busy right now. So we'll see if we can set that up. I know he's got Wrestle Kingdom 13 next month. He's already in Tokyo promoting it. I'd be like big intercontinental oh, time. I'd be like, all right, all right, all right. A simple no would have been just no. no that's he's, not I mean, a no. he's real. He's real busy right now. If we stay nah, in touch and like that's honestly, a no. out of all the people I've like been in contact with, getting people on these podcasts, he's been the most consistent. Regardless of like if we have scheduling conflicts you know, to actually do the podcast. Yeah, he usually gets back to me pretty quickly. So hopefully we can stay in touch after that, and hopefully we can have our O'Hara versus Jericho podcast that we've dreamt about since starting the podcast five months ago. Which doesn't seem like a long time, so so it sounds like this dream is pretty new, but but it's not so much me, it's more so Jack. He has his facade with Chris Jericho. He loves Chris Jericho. But It's why I have long hair. It's why I'm learning to play the guitar now. Chris Jericho is Jack's idol. Met him in Tempe. Said I had a cool jacket. Was wearing my leather green jacket. Hasn't washed his hand ever since after shaking. Have not washed. No, I haven't even washed my hand since I shook Yogi Berra's hand like ten years ago. This this hand is rotten. People are like, what? What? He hasn't. No, they know I'm kidding. They know I'm kidding. He hasn't washed his hand. Yeah. Freak. Uh, last podcast, we'll get into that a little bit. Fleek, if anybody hasn't checked it out, most downloaded episode we've ever had in our <laughs> show history thus far with Matt that Pierce and Cole lot. Madison. Yeah, yeah, you know, I did go back and listen to it, and I apologize because I woke up the next morning to a text message asking if I would like to join for a little bit, but I do get my eight hours for school. I mean, we but. only had, I think Eddie was the only one that called in, Kobe couldn't call in, didn't respond in time. Kobe. Talked about our nightmare roommate situation for about an hour and a half. The plan going in was to talk about that for like maybe 20 minutes, a half an hour. Yeah, like that was going to happen. There was too much to talk about. And then so much, much, so much memories came just rushing back as we were talking about it. Oh, yeah. It was insane. Yeah. I I never got to meet the kid, but um, I, I guess I have to take your word for it. I guess he. I guess he was crazy. Over a hundred downloads for that one episode, and it seems like there's going to be a lot more coming too, as it got posted on GCU's Barstool page. 
Which hey, I mean, it could be, it that's could good. be good. It could be bad. Could be bad. You know, knowing that Fleek goes to GCU, and if he has any form of social media, you would assume he follows, you know, Lopes Barstool, and if that's the case, uh oh. But <laughs> you know, worst case scenario, we just take it down. We upset a lot of people, but we take it down because it's the right thing to do. Yeah. yeah. If you were in that situation, you wouldn't want an entire campus ripping into you. Yeah, you cool. don't want to be the butt of all jokes. I understand that. Um, but yeah, that was the most downloaded episode in our history, and it wasn't even about anything we usually talk about. Like, we talk about sports, we talk about music, we've talked about TV shows, whatever. We, that was basically just, like, personal business that we went through. <laughs> yeah, and it really it, was. And it just blew up. Well, that's a story. It, it is a story and a half. I mean, everyone has their college story. Our father had his roommate... Ended up, like, stabbing some chick and got kicked out of school. He went to St. Bonaventure, so, you know. His roommate. You said that, right? Yeah. Our dad did not stab people. Uh, no, no, no. Our dad's roommate. Our dad's roommate. <laughs> right. Nah, nah. Dad's not stabbing anyone for... I mean, I, I don't think he is. I don't think he is. Um, Didn't his roommate end up being on Jimmy, though? Something along those lines. He slept on the couch. I don't know. But... <laughs> So Jack Slade on next week. Still got to talk to Jeff Jarrett. Jeff Jarrett's been busy this month. He emailed me saying, like, contact me again in December. But this month alone, like the last week alone, he was at the Titans game, throwing out the coin toss. He was on SmackDown the other night. He's doing promos for the next all-in pay-per-view event with Cody Rhodes and the Young Bucks. So, like, we'll see when he gets back. But hopefully we'll have him on sooner or later. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, that'd be a cool guest. He's a cool dude. You know, talk about Elias with the guitar. Jeff Jarrett was like the originator of you know, having the guitar. That was his signature thing. Anytime there's a no DQ match with Jeff Jarrett, you you you, you bet your ass someone's getting a guitar broken over them. Yeah, and and just thing. just think this Sunday, Elias versus Bobby Lashley at TLC in a ladder match. With the guitar hanging in the balance. Those are snores. <laughs> Those are snores for that match. I mean, it's not. It's a. It's a decent card. It's we'll, a decent card. We'll get into it more match. on our uh, TLC preview and post. Yeah. Uh, podcast we'll have hopefully posted by like Monday or Tuesday. Um, AJ Styles versus Daniel Bryan, WWE title match. The new Daniel Bryan. The. Uh, what is he? What is he? The new Daniel Bryan. That's it. Yeah, but what what is he? He's like a uh, what do you call it? An environmentalist. Environmentalist. Yeah. yeah. It's very weird. Like I, I really can't get behind the whole storyline, or like the whole gimmick. Right. Like WWE's weird like that. Like as like right as I'm about to say, hmm. This this heel Daniel Bryan just not believable. Like you literally go on his Instagram. It's just all smiles. It's his daughter in, in his bio. I'm an environmentalist, a vegan, and then you turn on SmackDown, and somehow they incorporate him being an environmentalist into his heel character, which is almost comedic in a way, but WWE in the past has been really good at, like, you know, making it clear that this heel is supposed to be comedic. Like, being an environmentalist heel is, like, just really goofy, but he makes it look so serious. Like when he slapped Mustafa Ali in the face. He's like, what kind of car do you drive? He's like, 
an SUV, slaps him in the face. Ignorant. Yeah. Like, and he was, what? like, dead serious, though. People were like, ah. Like, Jericho's heel, when he was, you know, with the list of Jericho, with Kevin Just Owens. Just comedic. That was a comedic com- heel. Com- That's why completely. he was over. Like... If you're going to be an environmentalist... Yeah, but do you want to be an overheal or do you just want to have people boo the hell out of you? I feel like he's trying to get booed. It's weird. There's like a... Because he went from being like one of the most popular guys in WWE with the whole Yes Movement thing to just being like a heel that cares about the environment. Well, it's one thing to be an overface. Like, you're supposed to be over. You you know you're a good talent when you're an overheal. You know what I mean? CM... Punk. Hey, you can't say that name. All right. I can. I can. I can. God. Phil Brooks. CM Punk. That's an overheal right there. Ugh. We always we always tie things back into CM Punk. Let's not get into <laughs> CM Punk right now. Every time we talk about wrestling, he's the best in the world. He really is. He's amazing. Favorite professional. Yeah, wrestler they're of in all a slump time. around slump. Punk. CM Punk. Yeah. Uh. Jericho, like I said, Jericho Naito at uh, Russell Kingdom 12. We didn't watch it last year. No, we did not watch the Omega match. We should at least try and watch it this year. Would we, would we have to buy it? That's the only thing. I don't know. I think we could watch it online, but it's going to be at like 6 o'clock in the morning. I know because it's in Japan. So do we have to watch it live? Because that that was a turn off when you just said that. <laughs> I was like looking down. You said 6 a.m. I looked up to see if you were like smirking, if you were joking. But you were serious. I don't know if I could watch that at 6 o'clock. No, it was like 2 o'clock in the morning last year, wasn't it? Okay, you may have been right, which also is terrible. Yeah. Although you wouldn't have to go to sleep. Just terrible. <laughs> well, regardless, MLB Winter Meetings podcast with Houston Astros single-A manager Jason Bell. We have our WWE TLC show coming on Tuesday. Jack Slade joins us. In the middle of the week, this is episode 36, the one after 35, which was the most downloaded podcast in Osho history. Episode 36, Winter Meetings with Jason Bell. jump right into it just got a few questions for you uh the first obviously being how was paris the netherlands london you were all over the place the past couple weeks yeah absolutely you know uh, it was pretty cool to experience europe it's my first time over there so it's always nice to see the, the rest of the world as much as i can just because you know things are just so different based on you know different cultures and different locations so it always opens you to your mind and your eyes up to, to d- different things Right, definitely. Uh, my first, well, my first real question for you. It was obviously your first season with the uh, Tri City Valley Cats as manager. Uh, both the good and the bad. What can you take away from your first season as manager uh, with the Valley Cats? Um, it was a great experience, really. You know, lucky for me, I had a really good group of players and a really good. 
coaching staff around me. And, you know, a lot of times when that happens, it always makes the manager or the head coach uh, look more important than, than maybe he really is. And uh, really, I credit a lot to, you know, the, those guys for all, all the work that they did and, and really just buying in and, and uh, believing in me and my, my first year as manager. Now, I think it's really important right away to, to make sure that the players have a reason to buy it. You know, obviously, all the players like to, uh, you know, go after their dreams, but when we're, when we're throwing, you know, different things at them to, to try to get them to, to try something a different way, it's uh, just, you know, really important to get them to, uh, you know, buy into it right away and, and kind of just explain to them the why so that it, it can benefit their careers. And what do you think the... Uh best moment of the season was and after that the worst uh, moment of the season if you have any examples um, let me think I mean there's there's quite a few quite a few um, you know good and bad I would say probably the best is you know winning a championship and just kind of watching our guys celebrate you know because in the minor leagues it's not always about winning per se but I think you know uh, with development comes winning and just to watch the, the players play with such emotion, you know, that late in the season after a, a very long year for some of those guys, and definitely, a, you know, some of the younger guys who aren't as, uh, you know, used to the, the, the length of the season, I think that that was probably maybe the best memory is just, uh, you know, watching the, the guys play with such emotion and, and passion for the game. Uh, you know, worst moment, I, I don't really know just because, you know, anything that, that, that's negative, you can turn around into, like, a teaching moment. And, you know, from from my side, there there's all sorts of, you know, different teaching moments that, uh, you know, I feel like um, helps me become a better coach. And, you know, I think that uh, with anything that comes your way, I don't know if it's necessarily best to see it as, like, a, a worse moment, but just a possible way to where you can find the, the positive and the, and the benefit in it. Oh, for, for sure. You should never really take anything negative uh, too lightly. And like you said, learn from it too. Um, next question, obviously, Valley Cats affiliate of the Houston Astros. You were with the River Bandits last year. Tell me a little bit about the uh, 2017 Midwest League Championship season you guys had with the River Bandits. Oh, uh, River Bandits, it was awesome. Uh, again, I was very fortunate to be around a really good staff and players, which, you know, you, you just never know in, in those scenarios. And so luckily for, for me, my first two years with the Astros, I've uh, I've looked out in those uh, two instances. Uh, I thought it, it was awesome season in 2017 because we technically uh, moved up every single player besides maybe one or two from our original opening day roster, which at the end of the day is the most important you know, thing in, in um, working with the Astros is making sure that those guys are ready to move on to the next level. And for us specifically, uh, we kept the culture that, that we instilled with those guys. And whenever the next guys came in, it was basically next man up. And we, we were still able to continue to win games, which I thought was uh, extremely impressive because a lot of times you're losing your best player and then you're getting another player who may be talented, but he, he's coming from a lower level. Right. And, you know, it just he just kind of each time fed into our system and it was uh, able to keep the train rolling well. And... Um... I mean, everybody has a baseball story growing up, at least everybody professionally. Tell me a little bit about you growing up in baseball in St. Louis uh, and at the College of University of Central Missouri as well as St. Louis University. Uh, you know, for me, you know, growing up in St. Louis, as everybody knows, St. Louis is a very big baseball city. It's got a very big following for the St. Louis Cardinals. And, 
you know, my parents put me into baseball maybe when I was around three years old, and, uh, you know, I could never just get enough of it. Uh, my, my mom will always tell a story that, you know, I was never really watching cartoons as a, as a kid. I was always, you know, turning on Sports Center and, and getting as close to the TV as I could. And so I think it was always kind of something uh, within me that I've, uh, you know, kind of grown with in a way. And so um, after high school, I went to St. Louis University for my freshman and sophomore year, uh, which was a, a really good experience. You know, got to be on a regional team and, and pitch in a NCAA regional for, you know, SLU's school record for wins at the time. Um, and then I transferred on to Central Missouri, which is one of the most historic college baseball programs in, in history as far as uh, the number of wins it has and, and averages every year. And I think being a part of, you know, winning cultures like that really helped fill me the, the values that, that you need to, to kind of, um, you know, create that culture a, as a coach. And uh, fortunate for, for me, I was able to be a, a part of, um, you know, uh, quite a few championships, of, you know, in, in college baseball. Uh, who would you say was your biggest mentor growing up in baseball? Oh, that's a tough one. You know, there, there's quite a few coaches that I had uh, growing up that I thought you know really positively impacted me. But I, I would say both my my dad and my mom were probably the the two biggest uh, supporters, but also you know mentors all, along that process. You know, they didn't really you know force things on me. They kind of uh, let me let me create the passion for it. And, you know, they, they're always uh, very supportive, but, you know, we're, we're also, like, very understanding of, you know, who I was as a player and a person. And, you know, they always, they always wanted me to be around better players than myself, which I think uh, humbles you, but it also teaches you a lot of values. And, and uh, I think, you know, iron sharpens iron. So if you can be around players um, and coaches that are better than you, it can always, uh, you know, bring you up to their level. Right, and that's the only way it should be if you want to get better. Um Growing up in St. Louis, I'm going to go out on a limb and say you were a Cardinals fan growing up. Yes, absolutely. Uh, thoughts on the Cardinals going out and getting Paul Goldschmidt? You know, I think it's, uh, it's, it's pretty interesting. You know, I obviously follow the Ashes a lot more nowadays. But, um, you know, I think what, what people kind of tend to forget with uh, a player who's known for home runs and plays first base is that there's actually a value in, you know, defense and base running as well. And I think that... You know, war being a, a very big baseball statistic, I think that that uh, also plays a, a huge effect in his uh, potential impact of the, of the St. Louis Cardinals with his ability to actually be a complete player regardless of, you know, not stealing a lot of bases. And so I think that, you know, sometimes in our game nowadays it gets lost when we talk about home run hitters. But, you know, I'm, I'm interested to see how it works out for those guys and uh, I hope, uh, hope, it, hope it works well for them. And... Obviously, with the Astros organization now, you said you've been following them a lot more. Uh, the winter meetings this week, uh, a, a lot of crazy rumors going around with everybody. I mean, everybody's on the block, it seems like, this year. Um, one um, scenario that was mentioned very briefly was uh, Trevor Bauer and the Astros possibly hooking up. What would you think of Trevor Bauer joining the Astros rotation with Garrett Cole, given that they have a little bit of history at UCLA? You know, I think that would really be something special. You know, I'm not too aware of, you know, the pieces that we would have to, to give up. But, you know, I think we've done a pretty good job as an organization at, you know, developing prospects. So I know that there's there's quite a few guys that are, are very valuable in, in our system. Uh, I know 
obviously, uh, I remember when those two guys were at UCLA together and, and how dominant they were. Um, I think, you know, anytime you can add uh, a piece like Trevor Bauer to a, a rotation, it, it really changes, uh, you know, the, the outlook of everything. And, you know, having three absolutely dominant, healthy starters to start the year like that with those two and Verlander can, you know, really have a, you know, a positive impact on, on the team. And, you know, that would be uh, very exciting if, if something like that were, were to be able to happen. And um, you mentioned growing up in St. Louis, playing there, and you got it. You had an experience as a pitching coach at the University of Maryland, director of baseball ops at Ohio University. Tell me a little bit about those experiences before you eventually got into managing. Uh, you know, for me, it, it was uh, awesome to be around you know different coaches and and different players. You know, at Ohio University, I'll always remember because Rob Smith was the. Uh, first coach who ever hired me, ever believed in me to, uh, you know, be on this side of the game. And in that role, he, he gave me quite a bit of responsibility and that really helps develop me as a coach. And fortunate for, for me, uh, the rest of the coaching staff there was, uh, you know, very helpful in mentoring me as, as a young coach, uh, getting my feet off the ground. And, you know, it was a, it was a very special season going from the, the year before the the Bobcats only had 11 wins, and then uh, we won, I think, 36 or 37 games, and we were able to play in, uh, you know, an NCAA uh, regional, which I think is just such a special time in college baseball, and, uh, you know, it always creates memories that, that you'll never forget, um, and then, fortunate for, for me, you know, uh, Rob Smith actually helped, you know, garner up the, the job at University of Maryland Eastern Shore, which gave me quite a bit of experience with, with all sorts of things, you know, um, recruiting, even field work. You know, we didn't really have a grounds crew. We didn't have a, a very big coaching staff. Um, but uh, I think, uh, you know, John O'Neill, the, the head coach at the time, really really believed in me and trusted me in, with all areas of the pitching staff and recruiting. And, you know, uh, it wasn't the most successful season I've been a part of, but in, in the school's history it was, uh, you know, one of the – more successful ones in recent history and you know those experiences can combine really help you know bring me along and develop me as a coach as my my first two years uh into the coaching side of the game you know that those are some memories that, that i'll never forget and you mentioned memories that you'd never forget game five of the 2017 world series astros dodgers tell me what the experience was like being there live when uh Astros came out on top in that crazy game, which is probably considered one of the greatest games ever played. You know, it was very crazy. It, it just shows you what what the what the game is like, and it really really kind of shows you what you know grit is all about. All the different types of lead changes with all of some of the best players in in the world. And for me, I was more just pacing around the stadium in, in circles. Uh, it was it was a it was a pretty pretty awesome, you know, atmosphere to be around, and I think what people won't remember, too, is that, you know, the, the roof was closed at Minute Maid, so it felt, you know, more like an indoor, you know, type of football game or, you know, any indoor sporting event with how loud it was, and, you know, Los Angeles fans travel everywhere, and obviously Houston, you know, really supports the Astros, so it was uh, quite a, an amazing experience to be in that atmosphere, and uh, emotionally, it's just... Uh, you know, some, some of those things, like I said before, that you'll, that you'll never forget. And obviously, like I said, or mentioned earlier, a lot of bizarre rumors going around MLB winter meetings in Vegas. Um, Mets going out on a limb, bringing in uh, Robinson Cano, Edwin Diaz. 
There's talk of Noah Syndergaard being shipped out, potentially. Um, what is your take on the Mets' new GM, Brody Van Wagenen's move so far as GM, considering I don't think any Mets GM has ever done anything like this before? You know, honestly, I haven't followed too much, you know, with all, everything in the background of it all. You know, I, I know, uh, you know who he is and uh, that he's, you know, taken over as, as the Mets GM, but I'm not as familiar with the, the Mets' uh, system system overall and you know for me mainly I mainly just focused on developing the, the younger younger prospects so unfortunately I'm not as familiar with a, a lot of those moves he's making but you know I think from from a fan's perspective of the Mets it's, it's really uh, going to be exciting that you know right right away when he got his, his feet underneath him he's, he's trying to make the team better to win immediately and you know as a fan of a, of a team I'm sure that's uh, you know going to be a very exciting for them to follow along this year and in the coming years. And the big rumor that's been swirling around for the past 24 hours or so is a potential three-team blockbuster between the Yankees, Marlins, and Mets. Uh, The Marlins would ship um, JT Realmuto to the Mets, while the Mets would be shipping their one of their biggest franchise stars in Noah Syndergaard across town to the Yankees. Do you think the Yankees and the Mets would ever make a deal like this, or do you think this has any possible chance of actually going down? Yeah, you know, I think uh, especially um, in today's day and age, it's, you know, everybody wants to just win, period. So uh, if that means, you know, trading players to teams that, that you may or may not want to, if it's going to better your your team overall, I think, I think uh, you know, most people are, are inclined to do it. Um, obviously, I can't speak to those organizations specifically. I'm not as familiar, but... You know, I think really um, when you have like quite a quite a bit of uh, analytics and numbers behind some of those decisions, and you know, teams that are in different places and and need need different things, uh, I think that you know a lot of times they can usually strike a deal if uh, if it all works out. And if that does happen, uh, that would be really exciting for the game. And you know, I'd be curious to see kind of how it all plays out. And. Like I said, Mets, Noah Syndergaard, probably one of their biggest franchise stars besides DeGrom, obviously, right now. Uh, I've had I've been having this conversation with uh, my co-host, who isn't on today, but um, theoretically, and I, I'm saying this, like, if I'm, uh, let, like, let's say if you're Brian Cashman of the Yankees and Billy Epler, uh, GM of the Angels, offers you a trade straight up, Mike Trout for Aaron Judge, considering Judge is basically... I don't want to call him the face of the franchise, but pretty darn close right now. Would you make that deal, considering the Mike? Perspective, I think you know Mike Trout gives you quite quite an edge in a lot of different areas, and uh, you know he's always uh, you know fun to watch on TV, even when um, even when he's maybe you know beating down the the Astros a little bit. But he's uh, just an exciting player to watch overall, and you know somebody who who seems very humble and dedicated to the game, and you know has a very good reputation. And I mentioned the uh, Syndergaard trade just seconds ago. Um, Miguel Andahar would be rumored to be going to Miami in that trade. Uh, do you think if the Yankees go ahead and trade their young star, Miguel Andahar, do you think that would solidify them going full force on Manny Machado to play shortstop or even third base? Uh, it's tough to say because you don't really know, you know who, who else to have in that organization or maybe what other just to have out there but you know obviously Manny Machado is a you know hot commodity on the, on the market right now and that could potentially mean that 
but uh, you know, for me, I'm not really really too familiar with uh, that kind of area of you know the off season and, and how things go because I, I don't follow as much about you know maybe the the money of all the players and the you know uh, uh, you know all the pieces that involve that. Right. Um... Corey Kluber also on the block. Multiple teams talking to him. Yankees, Dodgers. It seems like the Dodgers are really making a serious run for him. Would you consider Corey Kluber that uh, missing puzzle piece in another World Series run for L.A.? Well, it's tough. It's tough to say because, you know, L.A.'s gotten their back-to-back years, so I don't necessarily even know that there's anything missing. But, you know, sometimes a lot of it can kind of come down to just a few plays and a few different games, but... You know, I feel like if you're getting to the World Series in back-to-back years, there's maybe not not too much to change because you know anything can happen in a, in a few games in, in the playoffs. But you know, obviously, Corey Kluber is quite an incredible talent and uh, maybe one of the best sliders our game currently has and maybe has ever seen. So that would right. you know definitely make it exciting to to see him and you know the, the National League instead of the, the American League for the Astros. Um. Now, Brian Cashman of the Yankees says they're completely out on Bryce Harper. They have six outfielders, including guys like Jacoby Ellsbury, Brett Gardner, Clint Frazier in the minor leagues. Um, They've done crazier things before. Do you think that the Yankees are 100% out on Bryce Harper, like they say? Uh, You know, it's tough to say. I mean, it's tough to always, always, you know, kind of give the media what what they want to hear, but... You know, if they're that adamant that, that they're not in on him, that they potentially might not be. But, you know, if he's still hanging around towards the towards the end of the offseason, you know, it, it's tough to, to think that they win at least and give it a, a little bit of an interest. But uh, I'm not I'm not too sure. I mean, he, he seems like somebody that would, you know, give, give the media the, his honest um, values on that. Right. And final two questions for you. Um, first, as a coach – as a manager, favorite player you've ever coached? Ooh, that's a tough one. Uh, I don't know if I can necessarily choose one, but I definitely like the, the aspects of the, the players when they fully buy in and really care about each other. You know, I think so often sometimes in professional baseball, it, it's, it's tough to really uh, value the, the team camaraderie of it all. Uh, but I think... You know, that, that's something that's special about college baseball, and I think part of building a culture uh, as a manager, that, that's something that you can do, and I think it you know, helps bring some players along. And I think for me, that, that typically is, is what I like to see the most, but uh, I don't know if I could give just one particular favorite player that I've coached. Do you have multiple? Uh, just, just uh, like it's more of just, you know, just a, a common vibe and, and theme of, of, of a group of players, I don't know necessarily that there's one or even a few. I just think that there's there's uh, quite a few players that I, I've loved being around on a daily basis. You know, really care about as people beyond just players. Right. Yep. I got gotcha. you. Um, final question for you. Another tough one. Best moment of your baseball career. Probably um, at the end of my freshman year, pitching in the uh, conference championship game where I had had kind of a, a rough freshman year of college baseball, but pitching the conference championship game and then being able to dogpile at the end of the game. Um, in the coaching world, man, there's there's been a few that kind of stick out. Uh, I would say the last two championship celebrations uh, in the last two years, and then. 
also in Ohio University when we dogpiled to um, you know win the conference championship. But those would be the few memories to, to me that, that stick out the most uh, so far in my uh, playing and coaching career. Yeah, I mean, so far you still got ways to go with the uh, Valley Cats. I wish you uh, luck this season, upcoming season in 2019. Enjoy the rest of your off season. I know you've been busy. Get some rest. And thanks for coming on. I really appreciate it. Awesome. Thank you very much, Jack. listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform check us out at believe.com and search for b-l-e-a-v on youtube